big warm welcome to you. This is the Aware Parenting Podcast with Lael Stone and Marion Rose, PhD. We have juicy conversations about things that matter in parenting and life. We're exploring all that Aware Parenting has to offer from many different angles, and we are so glad that you're here. Hello and a big warm welcome to you. My name's Marion Rose and today I am flying solo, so it's just me without Lel, but I am so delighted to have another very special guest on and that is Nick Salter, who is the son of Aletha. Welcome, Nick. Thank you. Thank you, Marion. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I'm so delighted to be here with you and talking to you. After all these years, I was sharing before we press record that I often think of you as still being seven from reading about bits of your story in Aletha's books. And what I did before we're here today, I shared on social media that I was going to be talking to someone who'd not only grown up with receiving aware parenting, but actually practicing aware parenting themselves. And I got lots of questions from people. So one of the things we'll be doing today is going through some of those questions so that people really get to to hear. I think parents are so often, because this is relatively new aware parenting, they often wonder, well, what happens? Well, what might happen for my child when they're an adult? What might happen right. when they become a parent? So I think that's such a wonderful thing for you to come on and share your experience, having really been part of this pioneering of this amazing movement. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to the questions and I'm happy to share. Yay, wonderful. So I'm going to find the questions here as well myself. And here's the first one. So there's the first section is more about memories. So your own memories and growing up. So what is the biggest thing you felt grateful for from aware parenting when you were a child and now as a parent? Good question. So as a child, it's interesting because I didn't I just took it for granted, aware parenting, because that's the way that I was raised. That's That was my experience. That was my lived experience. So I didn't, as a child, I don't think, or maybe I'm unique in this re- regard, that I didn't really think a lot as a young child about how I was being raised and what I appreciated about it and so on. As I got older, I think probably the main thing that I started to notice is that a lot of my friends... Um, felt like they had to lie to their parents because they were scared of their parents' reactions if they had done something that they weren't supposed to. And so I think that, that was a fear of punishment, right, in a more authoritarian household, which I think most of my friends' households were. And so I think for me, once I noticed that difference, I guess appreciated this the sense of safety in my household that the lack of punishment went further and really... I think enabled a more comfortable, comfortable and safe and really truthful environment in my household. And then I guess the second part of that is, is as a parent, I think really I realized this when my children were quite young and I have two children who are now 19 and 15. So it's been a while since they were babies, but I just remember the sort of ease of parenting babies and toddlers with the knowledge, the aware parenting knowledge that, that crying is not just okay. Crying is a good thing. Temper tantrums are a good thing. And just the, just that knowledge just in and of itself makes parenting young children so much less stressful and so much more enjoyable. And so that I would say is really the number one thing that I feel grateful for about aware parenting. 
Yes, I know we're going to talk more about your parenting, but I feel called to dive in a little bit more, referring to my own experience as well, with my daughter, who we did listen to her feelings, crying in arms as a baby. And when her dad had some more children, she was 10, so they they were twins. And I remember she, I remember seeing her one day, so she was only 10 years old, and she was holding one of them, and they were crying. And she just seemed to have this very not almost nonchalant kind of approach to it. And I thought she's got that embodied experience of being at the receiving end. Whereas for me, it was still something I was a little bit intense about mm-hmm. doing, I'm doing crying arms because I didn't have that experience as a baby. And I wonder if you have a similar sense that when you're listening to their feelings, it was something really just quite natural about it because that's just what you received. Yeah, completely. It's not, it's not something that I had to really think about it. I think, I think for everyone, when you become a parent, you revert to naturally treating your children the same way that you were treated. And for me, because I was raised in an aware parenting approach, that's my natural instinct as a parent. And yeah, it felt easy and normal for me in that regard. Yes. I imagine many parents listening to this right now are feeling quite jealous. (laughs) (laughs) Really? (laughs) Can it be like that? Um, Yes. So did you, I know we're going more into this, but now, but so if they were crying as babies, did you pretty much just felt quite comfortable listening to their feelings or if they're having a tantrum in there too? It was generally just quite easy for you. Yeah, generally. I'm not going to say that it's always easy. Parenting is challenging for everyone, I think, at all ages. And it's not that it's always easy. It's not that I never made mistakes, but I think that, yes, when I observe other people with young children, I think that generally I probably have an easier time listening to children's emotions without without it making me upset or without feeling like I have to stop them or fix things always. Yes. Yeah, amazing. And in terms of non-punitive discipline as well, I imagine there wasn't ever like a temptation to move into a punishment because you didn't receive them. So I imagine. Right. Yeah, it really is such a really, I don't want to say this in an arrogant way or again, parenting is hard and it's been a struggle for me at times too, as it is for all parents. But the discipline piece of it, yes, I, I never had any instinct to punish or any desire to. It's just not something that's on my radar the parenting technique and I feel this beautiful relief because I'm imagining these people who are moving then into becoming like second generation aware parenting like how wonderful that is that isn't yeah it's not even on the radar thank you for sharing I know we're talking about your you could see I just desperately wanted to go quick let's learn more so should we go go back as well sure so the next question is what are your memories of crying yeah, I don't remember much as a baby or as a young child, obviously. I And again, I think that's probably true of most people as adults. They don't really generally have specific memories of crying as a young child. I think perhaps for me, it was even less memorable because it was even more of a, I guess, acceptable thing to do. I do remember crying as an older child, as a teenager, mostly about school stress. I think I used to, even in high school, I used to get really stressed about writing papers for English class for language arts. And I remember getting stressed and frustrated and crying about papers sometimes. And then going back to them and finding it much easier to get it done after that. (laughs) So wonderful, isn't it? That process. It's just much much easier after the crime. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And in terms of as a boy, as a teenager, as a boy, did that, and I think we actually go to talk about this a little bit later, but did you find that you were perhaps more comfortable crying maybe at home, but less so much at school? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think boys, I can only speak for myself, but I think it's almost universally true that boys learn pretty early on that it's not socially acceptable to cry in public, to cry in front of other people, especially other boys. And, And that's, it's it's not the end of the world. If you have a safe home environment in which to express your emotions, then it's fine. Like I learned to not cry in public and I could still cry at home. And it's fine as long as it, it seems like as long as you have a safe place to express your feelings, then you're not going to be, there's not going to be lasting harm to getting along in society. Yeah. And again, I imagine it's really reassuring for parents to hear because often, obviously, children are still out in environments where crying is still seen as misbehavior or, or as an number. I think it's really reassuring, isn't it, to know that actually it's what happens at home that's the most important. Yes. And I think for girls too, it's, it's maybe more socially acceptable for girls to cry together with their friends perhaps but but still even in school it's seen as disruptive whether you're a boy or a girl and so I think everyone learns fairly quickly where it's safe to express your feelings and where it's not yes yeah but yay it's, it's so powerful isn't it what we experience at home so, so yeah that's great very reassuring. So again, similar question, the next one, how did you feel when someone listened to you whilst you cried? Yeah, I don't have any specific memories of that. It's really, again, I guess I'll just say that my, I think my frame of reference here is just so different from someone who grew up with less acceptance of emotional expression. It wasn't abnormal to be listened to while I cried. And so it, and so consequently, I don't think it was particularly memorable. That's just how it was. <laughs> it's like breathing or something, isn't it? It's not, oh, I remember in 1972 right. when I breathed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's so great. So wonderful. And that's exactly how it's designed to be, isn't it? That these That is one of the most normal and natural things that that becomes. It's not a, mm-hmm. not a big deal. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The next one, what do you love or what did you love about being brought up with aware parenting? Yeah, I was I was thinking about this question when you sent it to me the other day, because there's obviously a lot to love about it. So to single out one thing, I think I think it's the the sense of respect. So I always felt like my parents respected me as an autonomous person who should be treated with love and dignity. And I think this comes both from the non-punitive discipline, obviously the lack of punishment. And then, of course, the listening to me, to my feelings, whatever they are, and listening to me as a real person, not just as a, a child who whose behavior they need to control. I think I felt, and I think one of the strengths of aware parenting is this respect that is encouraged in the whole household so that we're all treating each other all as individual people with our own and needs. Yes. 
It's so beautiful. And you know, I remember I had a conversation a few years ago on my other podcast with someone who'd, whose mother had been to Aletha's really early workshops. So she'd mm-hmm. been brought up with the printing, but she only had mm-hmm. like sm- very small children. And she also saying that in terms of her friendships and relationships, she also had, she wasn't really willing to be in friendships where she was being treated harshly, or she had this almost this expectation that her, her relationships and friendships would be warm and compassionate and those kinds of things. I, I wonder if you've noticed any anything similar to that or? that's great to hear yeah i think have i again it's hard because I, I don't know that i have anything to compare it to because I'm, <laughs> I'm a sample size of one in myself and i'm less tolerant of toxic relationships than perhaps people who weren't raised with aware parenting I don't know. I don't know if I have a good answer to that. <laughs> it's hard, isn't it? It's like talking to yeah. someone. My son has, I, I don't know if that's the accurate term, even now there's colorblindness. And it's sometimes we have these uh, conversations about, it says, which one's the green towel? And it's like really a conversation of how to kind of understand each other. Can be yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Great. Thank you. We're going to still include this one. Was there anything that you didn't like? <laughs> Can be helpful for parents to, to get reassurance about? Nothing really comes to mind. I think a less serious answer to this would be that I didn't have anything to complain with, with my friends about my parents when they all complained <laughs> about their parents. <laughs> what did you do? Kind of whistle or just kind of uh, yeah, the other way? Know, <laughs> talking about their unfair punishments or whatever. And it's, it's too bad. <laughs> 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 love that as an answer yeah great answer to to wouldn't it be wonderful if all our children had that as an answer <laughs> uh, yeah i should add i do want to add here that lisa my mother obviously is the founder of aware parenting but my father ken was a very important person still is a very important person in my life as well and they were really equal partners in parenting and he is also very compassionate and able to listen to feelings and so on so yeah so yummy Again, I imagine lots of people going, oh, how lovely, we wish we'd <laughs> Yeah. I'm so glad for you. So the next series of questions are all about being different. Again, it's really interesting, isn't it, to see the kinds of questions that, that parents have asked, the yeah. concerns about what will happen and how will it be for their child to actually receive something different still to what many children receive. So that's the next question. Did you ever experience being different or uncomfortable because of growing up with aware parenting? I don't. I definitely don't remember feeling uncomfortable or even really particularly different because of the way that I was raised. I think I think at times I felt different from other kids for other reasons, one of which is that I went to a an alternative school for the until I was 10, more of a more of a play-based child-directed educational school that at actually helped help start that I went to until I was 10. And so then when I went to regular school, I felt different from other kids because of that, but nothing really related to aware parenting or the specific aspects of parenting at home. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's again, very helpful to know. What about how did you find it going through school with teachers who might not have known how to be with big feelings or who weren't familiar with aware parenting and similarly with family members, again, who might not have had experience with aware parenting? How was that for you? It was fine. I don't remember any particular problems. And I think like we discussed at the beginning, children pretty quickly learn where it's safe to cry, where it's safe to express their emotions and feelings and where it's not. And so I think I learned fairly quickly that I could, school was a place where I did certain things and home was a place where I could get more stress and emotion out. And I don't think, I think all children experience, nobody's home life is the same as their school life. His home life is different from their life when they're out 
with friends or at school. And so I don't think that in that regard, aware parenting is particularly different in terms of making people feel different at school. At least that was my experience. Yes. Yeah. yeah. We didn't include that before this question. So please feel free if you prefer not to ask it, but did you find particularly as you became older and you realized that there was that there, that maybe even new term aware parenting, did you have friends come to your house and did they, did they say anything or was it enjoyable for them to come to an environment where there was all that emotional safety and non-punitive discipline? Do you remember any of that kind of thing happening or not necessarily? I don't. No, I don't think I remember any specific examples of that. Yes, it's not that there weren't necessarily. I just yes, it's not I, no, nothing specific comes to again, mind. Again, it might be just because like the sea of your yeah. experience is quite different, right? Yeah. Mm. So here's a question that says it would be interesting to know how experiences in which a young person might in our culture feel shame about or might want to hide from a parent were experienced by you, Nick. So, for example, things where a child might otherwise be punished for, like breaking rules or things like that. Do you want to share your response to that? Sure. I think I think this sort of ties into what I mentioned a little bit earlier about not feeling like I had to lie to my parents about anything. And it also ties in with the the concept of respect of parents for their children. And so as a child and as a teenager, I felt I felt I never refrained from misbehavior because I was worried about being punished. I, I didn't behave well because I was afraid of an authoritarian response. I generally behaved well because I understood that my parents, and I explained this very well. Actually, let me start over there. So let me paraphrase Aletha, which she says something like, when you're thinking about disciplining your children, you need to think about what behaviors or how you want them to behave and why you want them to behave that way. Mm. And I think the traditional authoritarian method of discipline is that the why is because they are scared of being punished. And so with a more democratic approach where there's mutual respect, the why is because we've internalized and understand the reasons for the correct behavior. And so we behave well because we understand and it's not just that we understand that our parents expect that of us it's that we agree with that like we we really believe that's the right way to do things yes it's such a completely different experience isn't it to, to those two reasons why yeah. to do something that on the outside may may look similar but actually comes from a completely different place in inside right yeah exactly yeah, so beautiful Ah, and so again, there are a few questions again, obviously concerns from parents. Mm -hmm. This question is, how did you adjust to the inverted commas real world? Real world? Right. Did you see right. a difference or perceive it where parenting is a bubble that's at odds with the world? Uh, so no, no problems. Or I had no problems adjusting to the quote <laughs> real world. I don't see where parenting is a bubble. And I think to elaborate on that, I guess, to go back to what I said a few minutes ago, everyone's home life is unique and nobody's home life matches the public sphere and one is switching between their home life and how they are in public. I think there's maybe two concerns if I could guess at what 
people might be concerned about here. One is the question of whether aware parenting is too, quote, soft and doesn't properly prepare children for the harshness of the world. And I guess I understand why parents are concerned about that. Obviously, they don't want their children to be to experience a lot of hardship in life because of being raised a certain way. And I guess I would just say that there's really never a risk and only a benefit in treating children with, with respect and in in teaching them democratic discipline and in teaching them how to express their emotions. And I think all of those tools really will help people in the perhaps harshness of the real world ra rather than hinder them adjusting to the real world. That makes sense. Yes. And then the second, yeah. And I guess to add on to that, like you don't, so yes, there are rules in society, but you don't have to punish your children as children to expect them to follow society's rules as an adult. Right. They'll figure it out. And if they uh, perhaps question some of those rules in, as an adult, then that's probably a good thing. So, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And then the other sort of aspect of this question, I think is something that I have observed on in a fair number of progressive parents is the maybe trying to trying to shelter our children, but maybe also trying to control them a little bit in things that that we think are important. So things like media, food, friends, things like that. And I think we need to be careful as progressive parents not to let our concerns about external influences lead us to be controlling, which can easily become authoritarian without realizing it. And so I think maybe people might be surprised that as a child, I was free to do things that that my parents probably preferred that I wasn't doing, like watching TV and playing video games and eating junk food. And they didn't, they let me experiment with those things, I think, because they realized that any sort of authoritarian attempts to control that was really just going to backfire anyways. Yes, it's such a big one. And actually, I do remember that Aletha does talk about, I imagine it would be in cooperative and connected. I'm trying to remember which one in terms of self-regulation in terms of food and knowing, of course, that in aware parenting, we only use that word regulation in terms of food and the experience you had. So, we, and again, feel free to not answer if you prefer not to, but and do you really see that still? And did you find that easy in terms of your own parenting? Because I think that's so often tricky for parents to really trust their children will yeah. listen to their bodies food, around food and screens. Yeah, food is food and screens are both tricky. And I think that we can tackle those one at a time. So food is tricky just because there's so much junk food readily available and so much added sugar and whatnot. So it's hard. I think, yeah, I don't know that I've done a perfect job with that as a parent. It's very difficult in our society. Screens also are just so much more ubiquitous than when we were children with the phones that everyone carries around, obviously, but then just the, the bit of options of entertainment that are available shows on Netflix and games and whatnot and TikTok and what, what everything. So it's, I think in general, for both of those issues, as a parent, we've always, my wife and I've always tried to approach it democratically. So rather than ever saying, no, you can't play video games or no, you can't eat junk food. It's let's, I'm, 
we're concerned that you are spending so much time playing video games. Let's talk about this together and try to figure out what a reasonable amount of time is to play every day and things like that, which is hard because for a number of reasons, because screen time can become addicting. So it's hard to sometimes have rational discussions about that. But so again, we, I'm not, I don't think I parented perfectly in that regard, but we tried, we did our best. (laughs) (laughs) And again, I think that might be quite reassuring for people to go that even if you, even though you've been brought up in this way, that some of these things are still tricky. And actually, of course, as you say, because screens have changed a lot in the last few decades. So it's an ongoing Mm -hmm. process, isn't it? As parents to be catching up with actually what's happening technology. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so lots of compassion to all of us. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Relationship with your parents. Hello, Aletha, if you're listening. Is there anything that you would like to change about your relationship with your parents? No, I think I have a great relationship with them as an adult. I never rebelled in the sort of typical teenage way. I've continuously felt close to them as a teenager and a young adult and as a, I guess, close to middle-aged adult, I guess now. I I wish I lived closer. I live about a thousand miles away from them. So we don't get to see each other as much as I would like, but otherwise, no, okay. great. It's so beautiful, isn't it? And I don't know if you listened to the episode that Lel and I did with Aletha last week, mm-hmm. maybe you did. And I loved how she really talked about that whole idea of teenage rebellion being a stage that everyone has to go through being not true, being a myth. And it's so beautiful, isn't it, to see those really mm-hmm. tangible experiences that we can stay connected throughout. Yeah. Yes. So beautiful. So the next section more about connection and compassion with your own feelings. So this question is, how do you get in touch with your own feelings and have compassion in relation to those feelings? Yeah, I think this is a really good question because I think as a parent, as parents, parenting children using the aware parenting techniques, we want to not just get them through childhood, but we want to teach them how to take care of themselves emotionally as adults as well. And so I think really the biggest benefit that I see for myself having been raised in aware parenting is my really deep understanding that crying is more than okay, that crying is helpful to our mental, emotional, and physical state. And then if I don't cry as much as I did when I was a child, it's still a tool in my toolbox of emotional support for myself. And it's challenging, I think, as a boy and then as a man in our society, it is still considered societally to be a weak thing to do, shameful, right? And so it's not something I generally do in public, but it is it is something that, that I do at home when I have a backlog of stress or sadness or whatever that I know can help me feel better afterwards. And I think also it's helped me recognize when I'm perhaps have been traumatized or there's been a more serious event. And to give a specific example of that, we almost a year ago, we had a very sudden wildfire that came through our city and we had to evacuate with almost no notice. And it was a pretty, our house didn't burn down luckily, but a lot of houses in our neighborhood did. And we have friends who lost their houses and so on. And so it was a traumatic day, just trying to evacuate and getting stuck in traffic and seeing the flames and the smoke and so on. And I think that it's something that that affected me deeply, but I think that I have the to recognize that, yes, that was a traumatic event. And now I can work through that emotionally. 
Yeah, that's so beautiful to hear. I would love to ask you another question again. If, please say if you prefer not to answer, but I also mm-hmm. think as well about the kind of that intergenerational transmission of trauma and that I my dream is that with each generation growing up with aware parenting that there's less to pass down because there's more healing that happens there's more crying there's perhaps fewer control patterns so of course without giving lots away if you don't want to but I wonder if you see that in terms of the three generations that that there is perhaps a sense of fewer accumulated few feelings and fewer control patterns or, or is that not really I know it's hard to see in just because we're all just human beings but do you guess kind of felt sense of that it's hard to say I hadn't really thought of it in that way before. I think that emotional health is a something that everyone individually has to work at constantly and, and figure out for themselves. And so I think that and we can't control life events like traumatic events that might happen and so on. And so I think the key is, I guess what I do see with aware parenting is that it it gives us the tools and hopefully I've given my children the tools to to recover from the stresses and the traumas of life without acting out and passing that on to other people, which I think mm. happens far too often. Yes. Yeah, that's really profound, isn't it? That difference to know. Oh, yeah. Okay, this is something that's traumatic. I've got feelings here. I can clearly tell I know what to do rather than have sh- yeah. shouting at their friend or yeah. Great. And that I think can also be reassuring for parents rather than looking for a particular outcome. It's it's the process and the practices that are really so helpful to have the lifetime things. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah. Great. Thank you. And self-care as well. That was our next question in terms of practicing self, mm-hmm. self-care. self And again, is it something that you find easier to do than perhaps maybe particularly other male friends? Because I think often that can be quite a thing still in our culture, can't it, for men to be to care? Yeah, I think I actually find it challenging often. I think because of my personality more than my the way I was raised, I do tend to feel like I want to be accomplishing things in every minute of the day rather than so sometimes it's a struggle to take time for myself but I do it's something I worked at as an adult and so I do take time for exercise of, of various kinds I used to play more sports but I've had some injuries so I've had to stop playing basketball but I still hike and walk and ski and bike and I try to do something every day I enjoy reading to take time for myself wife and I do a regular date night so yeah I think oh. uh, yeah <laughs> Hey, I love that. So in terms of your own being a parent and your own parenting, was there anything from aware parenting that your parents did with you that you haven't done as a parent or that you have found more challenging? I think I haven't. We haven't been very successful at family meetings in our household here, but otherwise it's most, I don't think there are any fundamental differences. Actually, when when I because I wrote the questions to you and you sent them back initially in writing and I was like oh that me too <laughs> we haven't either so I was like I thought that met my need for reassurance it is reassuring to hear from you as well <laughs> <laughs> yay we can have a little club the uh, yeah. family meeting successful really family meeting yeah, <laughs> yeah. Thank you. What have your children taught you about the processes in aware parenting that you perhaps didn't really learn as a child? Or I think, again, as you're saying, because it was so just part of the fabric right. of your. That, that's a great question. And I think the first thing that comes to mind there is that 
something that I learned as a parent is how unique every child is and really was not expecting this. I really used to believe very strongly in in nurture over nature. And my I have two children, as I mentioned, and they are in some ways similar to each other and in some ways completely different from each other. And in most of those ways, it was apparent from a very early age. And so I do think that there is, I, I now think that there's more to genetics than I, in biology, than I, than I was previously willing to admit. I'm happy to say though, that their differences are not particularly gender stereotypical, which I was pleased to see because I definitely did not want the societal gender stereotypes to be reinforced in my own children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm so with you on that and really resonate too. So no, it's just so much of its nurture, but actually it becomes really clear, doesn't yeah. it? That some of the yes, differences that just are right in there. Yeah. This is the next question. What do you struggle with most about parenting the star? Or do you struggle with anything about parenting the star? Yeah, I mean, we covered this. We've, I think, mostly covered yeah. this earlier, yeah. where I said that it really isn't a struggle for me because this is how I was raised. And so this is what comes naturally. Yeah. So I don't, I don't have to fight against my natural impulses. Do I had jotted down a note that I do disagree with some of the attachment parenting views around the biological essentialism of motherhood? I think that fathers are just as capable and just as beneficial for the children to do things like putting the child to bed and cuddling with the child and having the physical closeness, listening to the emotions, all that stuff we can do just as well as the mothers can. We, when the children were little, we, my wife and I alternated putting, alternated putting the children to sleep every night. And I really appreciated that time, not all the time. There are definitely times where I <laughs> was like, you go to sleep already. But I think in retrospect, having that that closeness of cuddling with them while they're going to sleep and stuff, but I think it's something that, that fathers really should experience. And it's just important for them to do just as much as mothers. And, that, and that's not, that's an aspect of attachment parenting that I think aware parenting doesn't subscribe to, but I just thought I'd mention it. Yeah, I'm so with you. It's something I really love seeing. I've seen so often with clients over the years is that it doesn't need to be this. It's the mum, as you say, with the child or the baby every night. And it's actually, it meets everybody's needs. The dad actually yeah. gets to bond and the baby and the child gets also that, not only the relationship with a dad, but actually that, that internalization of actually men can listen to feelings and my feelings are yeah. welcome with men. And then mum can often perhaps maybe get a bit of a rest or time. They said it's not the one doing it all, which I think really can happen in, I call it classical attachment parenting. I think it's yes. yeah, such a beautiful difference that aware parenting brings to the whole family. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really win-win for everyone. Like you exactly. said. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Next question. Yes. How did you feel? Well, we, again, I think you pretty much answered that. Listen to your baby's cry and listen to your children's mm -hmm. feelings. Is there anything that you did want to share in terms of maybe when they got a bit older? Yeah, it's definitely harder as they get older. I think for a couple of reasons, for me at least. One is the problems when they're babies and toddlers and young children are simpler. Thankfully, we didn't have any huge traumatic events in my children's lives when they were young. And it's easy to listen to them cry as babies when it's fairly simple problems if they get to be older. Teenagers, I found it harder sometimes to listen compassionately and objectively because it would trigger me if it's things that I, when they're out in the world experiencing 
hurtful things or whatever. It's, I think, harder as a parent because we want to protect our children. So it's, uh, we have our, I guess, here's a way to say it. As a parent, we have our own feelings about when our children are hurt. And so as they get older and those hurts become more significant, I think it, it can become harder to just listen compassionately in the moment. <laughs> you still have that dad thing of, I want to go and get, I want to go and say something to that person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm, well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, school. So you did share a little bit as well about your own experience of going to the, you know, the school that Anitha helped. Well, I understand in California at the time they had a mm -hmm. thing where you could parents could set up classrooms within the school. So you had that different experience. But do you want to share? Anything yeah, it was, it was a, a, essentially a charter school before charter schools really took off. So it was within the public school system. So it was free, no tuition, but it was a, a unique, different form of instruction. And yeah, I think Elisa was influenced by the, a lot of, but I think by the sort of play-based child-directed research from the 70s and started the school in the early 80s, where it was basically free play with instructional materials available, but no sort of forced work. So that was until you were 10, did you say? Earlier? It was until I was a 10, yeah, yes. until I was 10. And then I actually decided myself that I wanted to go to a regular school because I didn't feel like I was learning enough. And when you look back on that retrospectively, is that do you, would you still see it that way or would you say? It yeah, I think it's a challenge. And I've thought a lot about educational philosophy too as a parent now. And the completely child-directed, completely play-based approach is... It is, I don't know that I 100% agree with it. I think that I I learned a lot in those first 10 years, mostly at home because my parents are both fairly academic and so they provided me with a lot of educational opportunities at home. And But I don't know if it worked well for children who didn't have that kind of home environment as much. I wouldn't change it. I appreciate that time and then it was my choice. And so I was much more motivated to work in regular school rather than some kids are burnt out by the time they're 10 in, yes. <laughs> in public school. <laughs> Yay. And so in terms of then, as you say, being a parent with, in terms of education in school, what did you decide? Yeah. So it, it was actually very different for my two children. My son, who's 19 now, so they both went to the same preschool. We found a wonderful cooperative nursery school, play-based, completely play-based in the town where we were living at that time. And that was great. They had wonderful experiences there. My son went to regular public school starting in kindergarten, which is age five here in the US or five or six. Actually, he was six, I think. Um, and then, except for one year, his sixth grade year, when he was 12, we were actually living in Switzerland, in Geneva that year. And so he went to a, both our kids went to a private school for that one year in French, in Geneva. But other than that, he was in public school until university. And now actually he's going to a private university now, but that, that's a totally different thing. And so that, that worked well for him. He's, he just always wanted that. And he thrived in that environment. My daughter, on the other hand, has she has dyslexia and that is something that we didn't identify until she was about how old was she i guess maybe end of fourth grade so maybe around nine years old so it was early elementary school was a struggle for her and so we started her in the same public school that my son went to after finishing preschool and then by her first grade year so when she was six six to seven, she was really struggling and it was just a miserable experience. She was losing her confidence. She was getting singled out at school, starting to feel like she was dumb. It just, it was not a good scene. So we pulled her out and we homeschooled her 
for about a year. That was in second grade. So when she was like eight, seven, seven, I think mostly. And that was, I said the homeschooling didn't go great. I think it can work well for the right families, I think. And perhaps if we'd started her out homeschooling, it would have been better. But the transition from getting completely just destroyed in public school really made the made it where the homeschooling year she was just super resistant to doing anything that even seemed at all academic or like school it really took her the whole year to emotionally recover from the experience in public school we gave her that opportunity so that was the benefit of homeschooling and then the next year we actually moved to switzerland and completely changed things up and she went to a private school in switzerland that was in french although at her level it was somewhat bilingual they had some people who knew english too and that actually worked really well she she started getting some confidence back with having that like huge change was an amazing experience for her then we came back to the u.s and found a great private school that was called running river it was a really and you can tell by the name that it's really nature focused and calm and supporting children's emotional needs and so on and so she really she went there for two years until middle school and she really started getting her confidence back. And then we found a great private middle school as well that is here, around here, middle school is three years, ages, I guess, 11, 12, and 13 roughly. And so that was really small. There were only like 10 people in her whole grade. And so she really thrived there. And then she's in high school now and she decided on her own to go to a big public high school. And she made that decision and we offered, actually could to go to a private high school, but she really wanted to go to the public high school. And she's really thriving there. And I guess I don't want to say that I recognize that we were privileged to be able to have the option of private school to be able to pay the tuition that I know that not everyone has that option. And so I don't take that for granted. And I really, those six years of private school that she had were, for us, I feel like made a huge difference. And so I'm really grateful for that. I definitely don't take that for granted. So in the meantime, we did have her diagnosed with dyslexia when she was in fourth grade, I think around nine or 10, something like that. And it's still a struggle with the learning disability. It's really interesting to see. She's such a, she's so clearly intelligent, but, but struggles with the reading and the writing and things like that. So actually, I guess I can mention, this would be a good time to mention that my wife and I have recently started a YouTube channel and a podcast called Dyslexia Journey that is meant to be a support for other parents and caregivers of dyslexic children and for as well, really anyone who parents or works with or interacts with a dyslexic child, I think could benefit from joining our community, watching our YouTube channel, listening to the podcast. We try to cover a variety of topics around everything from how can you tell if your child is dyslexic to how can you support yourself as you're dealing with the stresses of having a dyslexic child to tips for how to handle school situations and so on. And then, and we're actually going to interview, um, my mom, Aletha, this weekend for a couple of upcoming episodes about how to emotionally support your children and yourself using aware parenting techniques for, or if you have dyslexic children. And so hopefully, uh, Marion, you can uh, drop some links in the notes. Yes, I'll absolutely do that. And you know, I'll put the links in 
through both your YouTube and the podcast. And I think it's such right. a wonderful thing that you're doing. Over the years, I've spoken to parents who have children who've had a dyslexia diagnosis. And I think to actually have people that not only have that understanding, you've lived it yourself as parents, but also to have that aware parenting perspective too, I think is phenomenal. Yes, yes. Yay. So wonderful. Congratulations. I'm really looking forward. I had a little look at this Thank you. your YouTube channel and really love what you're doing. And, and Thank you. Thank you. Episodes of the Letha as well. Yeah. So yes, clearly I had a lot to say about Yeah, I love school. that. Our it's experiences with school yes, here. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's top of my mind right now. Yes, I really hear you. And of course, it's so wonderful, isn't it, to get to share about what's something that's been such a journey for all of you, I imagine. I want to also apologize now. We've not only got bird noise in the background, but puppy noise too. So it's become oh, very okay. I'm, so I'm expecting my dog to start barking upstairs at some point so <laughs> <laughs> my, one of my dogs when he's happy is playing he makes noises like a human he goes arr, arr, uh-huh. so <laughs> sometimes think people might think, uh-huh. what on earth is going on in the background uh-huh. we've just got a few more questions here you have sure. to keep going sure. yeah did you ever find yourself going overboard Is it trying to listen to tears no I think I don't think that that's possible. I think when a child's actually crying, when they're actually emoting, then it's easy to listen to. I think what's hard is if they're just, if they're not tackling it head on, right? As a younger child, this comes out as being whiny or difficult or obnoxious. And I mean that in a very kind way of understanding where they're coming from, right? But that is challenging sometimes as a parent, right? As a teenager, it comes out differently. As I think those of us who have teenagers have experienced. And that that can be challenging, I think, as a parent. Sometimes I think I, we just want to say, just, just cry and get it over with here. Like, just let it <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. still with you on that. Did you find attachment play easy? Actually, my children were young before Alisa wrote that book. And in fact, I yes, I experienced that, that too. Why didn't you have yes. written that one? <laughs> <laughs> so I think some of the examples in that book are actually probably my children, possibly. I can't remember exactly which examples are in there. So I think I would say that I did not find I definitely didn't find fantasy play easy with my children I I definitely get in I struggle to have the patience to do fantasy play with my children when they were younger playing with dolls playing with action figures that kind of thing in terms of sort of attachment play itself like more sort of therapeutic play I would say I don't know if I would say it came easy I definitely did some aspects of it even before Luther wrote that book just because of some of it came naturally acting out situation but i don't know that it's i don't know that's a natural instinct yes i'm with you i always found listening to feelings much easier than attachment plays yeah i'm with you on that one (laughs) yeah and again, I think reassuring for parents to hear that even though you've been brought up in this way, it doesn't mean that just everything is easy. So <laughs> no, it's, it's not helpful, helpful to hear. <laughs> yeah, I think we've pretty much answered that next one. And I think you've answered this too, but I'm going to ask it. Do you resonate with how difficult some people find it to hold the feelings of children or yeah, just because it is so much more natural to you? Do you want to share a bit about it? I think uh, honestly, yes and yes. Yes, it's natural to me, but yes, I also understand how difficult it is because, and I think we talked about this earlier and I mentioned it more of the context of when they're teenagers that we really, that I personally find it more difficult to really just compassionately listen without having sort of my own feelings around it. But I think that's true of babies as well. I think as parents, we have this natural instinct, obviously to want to protect our children and that 
comes out, I think, is wanting to protect them from emotional harm, too. And when they are crying, it, it does mean that they have been, there's been some stress in that, like there's been some emotional harm. And, and so I think it, I, I can definitely relate to feeling, to feeling, to feeling difficult sometimes to just hold those feelings. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, wishing wishing that they hadn't experienced the stress, the trauma right. in the first place. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And actually, I should mention one thing. Yeah, so my son, I mentioned that my children didn't have any really traumatic events when they were a child, but actually, my son did have, have a major surgery when he was a baby, and that was a pretty traumatic event for all of us. And so, listening to him cry about it afterwards was triggering for me because I had my own fears and and really trauma around seeing him go through that surgery yes yeah so yeah so i had to independently deal with my own feelings yes. around it <laughs> yeah that's what I was, <laughs> I was aiming to say as well if yeah. we've been if we've seen our child experience something traumatic it's often as much about us getting to right. heal so that we can be there for them isn't it that's the big piece yeah, yeah, and Alitha talks about that a lot in her newest book. Yeah, which is fantastic, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So wonderful. The one, I love this question. This is from a parent. Is listening to the crying in the first several <laughs> years worth it? <laughs> I, yeah, I, uh, that's a great question. And so my answer to this is, first of all, yes. And let me explain. You don't have a choice. Like, your child's going to cry. <laughs> and the only thing you can really control is how you react to that. And so you can be anxious and stressed about it, or you can be relaxed and compassionate about it. And one of those is ultimately a lot easier than the other. <laughs> and I know it's sometimes hard to get there, but I think when your child says this all the time, right? When your child is crying, it doesn't mean you did something wrong. <laughs> your job is just to listen, and they're going to cry, so you might as well, you might as well just accept it and be calm about it. <laughs> and my experience as well is it just does make everything else much easier. I found too is like the yeah. sorts of feelings in the early years, and then for me it was more like an experiment because I wanted to listen to feelings, and I wasn't doing it because of any behavior. It was because I discovered aware parenting and I was like oh my god this is exactly what I've been right. looking for and I wanted them to it was the emotional part that was the part that yeah. resonated and then I saw this amazing side effect of all these other things like they oh yeah really easily and they were calm and they didn't sure they didn't hear oh yeah yeah. yeah yeah there's all the benefits which yes. I think are more maybe obvious than the sort of long-term I guess value yeah. yes yes and that's wonderful, isn't it? I always say that about where parents is wonderful that you can actually really observe. You don't need to wait 20 years. You actually can right. see at the time. Is it making a difference? Right. And it does. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thank you. I think this is the last question here. Your own work. Did you see a reduction in how much inner work you needed to do as a parent after being raised with aware parenting compared with your parents or compared with other parents who are your peers? And again, I think you've talked to this. I've talked about this already, but yeah. is there anything else you want to share? <laughs> Yeah, sure. So I think aware parenting has given me sort of growing up with being securely attached, not experiencing punitive discipline and um, being allowed to express my emotions. Obviously, have given me a lot of good tools as an adult for dealing with the stresses of life and dealing with relationships with other people and being a parent. So there's a lot of great tools there. But that all said, I think that every adult 
has to be doing their own inner work all the time. There's no, ma- <laughs> <laughs> There's no magic bullet here. And so everyone has to go through a process of individuating from their parents and everyone has to go through a process of dealing with their own adult relationships with other people. And then some people choose to become parents and then they have to go through the struggles and joys of parenting themselves. And I think that I am generally emotionally healthy, but I think that I also still need to do inner work yeah thank you and i really appreciate your honesty you could easily just come along and said yes i'm i never need <laughs> right. to do any look and everything's easy and just do away parenting <laughs> so it's something wonderful to know that yeah that this ongoing journey and i really loved how you said yeah. that as well that it's really about having the deep awareness of what that's like to express feelings knowing that and having that the ongoing capacity to do that i think that's so essential isn't it Definitely. I have one question of my own, actually. You did ask me earlier, and this one's jumped to mind again. Yeah, Please feel free go for to it. not answer if you don't want to. I'm passionate about our dialogue and how we tend to mm-hmm. internalize how we were spoken to. Do you, and I know it's a very personal question, but do you tend to find that your inner dialogue is fairly compassionate and friendly in terms of compared to perhaps, again, other people, friends or so on? That you <laughs> That's a good question. Yeah, the inner dialogue is it's fascinating. I... Maybe. I tend to be not, I don't know. I don't know if this is, I'll just say it and we can cut it if you want. Yes, yeah, please feel free. I tend to be a perfectionist. So my inner dialogue is sometimes, maybe even often about doing things better or that kind of thing. I would say what I don't really tend to do is dwell on mistakes or worry about the future that's Um, it's not that i never do but (laughs) yeah Yeah. thank you again thank you for sharing honestly because i do think again and i know this was my experience in my early years of parenting as i i was like oh my gosh this we're parenting okay i'm gonna be gonna do some kind of perfect thing my children are gonna have no uh, control patterns ever and they're never going to have any accumulated feelings and, and I think that uh, I know I brought that to it which I soon learned wasn't very helpful so I think it's really helpful to really bring in the humanity and the normalness of challenge and issues that we still need to move through but that's still part yeah. of life so thank you for that I'd love to say one last thing but I also love to if you want to share anything else but is there anything else that you would love to say to any parent that is listening and perhaps maybe that people are newer to aware parenting or just anything that you would love to share yeah I'd like to say that I hope I didn't make it sound in this interview parenting is easy like it's not easy it's never easy it's rewarding but it's hard and it's stressful and emotional and and challenging and just I don't know that I have <laughs> I don't want to say send it some trite like words of wisdom, but it just aware parenting is a great tool to help to help make some of it easier. But even with aware parenting, it's still hard. And as parents, I have a lot of empathy and compassion for all of you. And just don't don't beat yourself up too don't beat yourselves up too much if when you make mistakes. We all make mistakes. I made plenty of mistakes. None of us are perfect. And as long as we're as long as we're learning and working at it, then that's the most important thing. I'm so with you on that. Thank you so much. As well, is there anything that you would like to say that you didn't get to say, and that might be including about the whole dyslexia journey or your podcast, which is anything else that you'd be like, oh, I wish I'd said something. I can't think of anything. 
offhand here. I think, I feel like we covered a lot of material here. Yeah, I don't think I have anything else. Yeah, I'll do another plug for the dyslexia journey though. If, if people are staying to the end here, I think that this is a great, hopefully for, obviously for parents of dyslexic kids, but I think we're talking about a lot of general parenting stuff too, coming from an aware parenting background that I think could be a thing for many of you out there. Yes, absolutely. I highly recommend it. So could you say the name of it again? So I will put it in the Yeah, it's, because... uh, it's Dyslexia Journey, and we'll put the link in the, or Marianne, you'll put the okay. YouTube and, yes. and the podcast link in the show notes. Yay. I want to say a big thank you to you, Nick. It's, I mean, it's quite a big thing, isn't it? To come and say, this is your mom, obviously. And it's right. a thing to be the, one of the children that's been proud with this. It's sometimes can be a bit like being a poster child or something. Or other, so. I, was the, I was the original guinea pig. You were the first <laughs> guinea pig. <laughs> Gosh, you were the first guinea pig. We're parents. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you being here. And yeah, I'm so appreciate Alita and her work. So I just really thank you for being here and sharing. Your yeah, work. thank you. Yeah, and thank you for inviting me on, and thank you for all the work that you do to um, spread our parenting and to help parents through this journey. Thank you. That, that means a lot to me. And to everyone listening, thank you so much for being here and um, sending you so much love. Thanks for joining us on the Aware Parenting Journey. Please follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the Aware Parenting Podcast. You can find more about Lael at www.laelstone.com.au or find Marion at www.marionrose.net. We wish you much compassion and grace on your parenting journey.